So today, we at Mount Vernon join with Christians all over the United States of America when we say this, go Chiefs, go Chiefs, right? If you're, well, if you're cheering for the 49ers this morning, you can't stay here. I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Who's a 49er fan? Any 49er fans this morning? Oh no, are you serious? Oh, you're both, how can you be both? Go Andy, right? We're cheering for Andy this morning. <laughs> Go Red, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not going to lose if you cheer for one of the Red teams. So this is the fourth week that we are now in the Apostles' Creed series. Um, I apologize if I continue to cough. I'm on some medicine. My, my cough should be gone by next week, praise the Lord. That's what we're hoping for. So if I don't shake your hand this morning, it's not because I don't like you. Well, I might not like you, but that's not the reason I don't shake your hand. I'm just kidding. But so we continue through the Apostles' Creed series. Can we throw it up? Is it working? Is it not working? Oh, it should be in there. Uh, go to the media part and see if there's a, a place that says... Uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit. See if you can drag that in. If not, it should be under the, the media uh, folder on the desktop. Uh, but then we're now in the fourth week, so we've looked at, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. And today we look at the statement, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Now that, that seems to be a simple, <coughs> there we go. That seems to be a very simple phrase, right? But there's so much to it. It's such an important phrase in the Apostles' Creed. Now, before we stand and read it together, let me just remind you that we don't believe this is some type of good luck charm that we say on Sunday morning to help the Chiefs win the Super Bowl, right? This has no effect over whether or not the Chiefs or 49ers are going to win the Super Bowl. It has no effect over whether or not you're going to feel better today or you're going to be happier today, right? This is something we say that brings three things. It brings unity, clarity, and depth. Would you stand with me as we read through the Apostles' Creed together? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. So if you could open your Bibles this morning with me to Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to look at it, we're going to be kind of all over the place today to gain an understanding of why this phrase, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is so important. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. You can look it up on your phone or check out the screen behind me. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, and you look in your pew and you see that black Bible sitting there, take it. That's for you. That's our gift to you. And we pray that God opens your eyes to who he truly is. So we, we realize, and, and we talked back in the second week about God, the creator of heaven and earth, and how God created everything from nothing. 
It wasn't that God had all of these things to work with. It's not like us and we want to build a stand like this. We have to go and get wood from a tree. God had nothing and he spoke it into existence. Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and we see a, a theme that, that happens over and over and over again. What does God say at the end of the days of creation? He says, it is good. Again, it is good, it is good, it is good. All of these beautiful things that God created. But then we come to Genesis chapter 3. And the story changes a little bit. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now prior to this, we know that God had told Adam and Eve they were allowed to enjoy the garden of Eden all except for one tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Anything, you can have anything you want here, anything, enjoy it, live in it, just enjoy yourselves, enjoy the connection that we have, just don't touch this tree, that's the only thing I tell you. But Satan didn't want to allow that to happen, and so verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you, the serpent says to the woman, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, doesn't sometimes sin seem that way? That it's good, enticing? And this is what happened here. The food was good, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband. So Adam, you know, we, we talk sometimes, sometimes people will say, well, Eve sinned first, <laughs> right? Adam was there the whole time. Terrible. He stands there and watches his wife eat this fruit and then takes it from her. He knows it's wrong too. Let's not blame Eve this morning, right? only Eve this morning. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They sinned and their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. This act of sin, this act of disobedience, that's what sin is, right? Disobedience to our creator. This act of sin, of disobedience, took their relationship with God, which was one that was perfect, connected, and all of a sudden, when sin entered the world, there was separation. Ephesians 2.3 says this, Among whom we all live in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, we were, we were, and were by nature children of wrath. By nature children of wrath. Romans 5.12, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Genesis chapter 3, the world changed forever. Now there was hope that was coming, right? There was hope that was coming, but this relationship had now been changed. Sin had entered this 
this universe, and all of a sudden now, every single child who was born was born with what we call the original sin, which is passed down through the Father. Therefore, as sin came into the world through one man, right? So through Adam, the sin was passed through the Father, and every person that was born was born into sin. Have you ever noticed how you don't have to tell your children to misbehave? Right? You never have to, to look at them and, and teach them how to try and lie their way out of something as a young child. Did you do this? Nope. We were, we were dealing with a little bit of that with Nehemiah. He was, he was uh, what did he do? I don't even remember. But Nehemiah, did you do this? Nope. Are you sure? Nope. <laughs> do you understand what we're saying? We're not really sure. But, but this idea, you don't have to train people to sin. Because it's in our nature. We're born with it now. We're born with a sinful nature. It's no excuse, but it's the reality that you and I can do nothing to, by ourselves, connect ourselves to God. No amount of good works will ever restore that relationship. Right? The Bible says that our, our good deeds are like filthy rags. When you think about everything that you do in your life by your own power, the Bible equates it to filthy rags. Now this morning we get to Luke chapter 1. And this is a Christmas passage. I'm sure you know that. I think we actually looked at it this past Christmas. But this is such an important passage in talking about Jesus as the God-man. Here we go. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. <coughs> Excuse me. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne over his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So Mary asks a very logical question. How in the world is this ever going to happen? I've never been with a man. Are you talking about maybe after I'm married? You know, after Joseph and I are, are married, is that when I'm going to receive this child? And, the, and so she asked, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. And the angel says this, for nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I want to emphasize what's being said here this morning, that Mary is going to become pregnant even though Mary remains a virgin. Imagine the questions that must be running through her mind, running through the minds of everybody around her. And let's just clarify this this morning. This is scientifically impossible. Scientifically impossible. Yet our God isn't limited to what we understand to be the realms of science. 
He's the creator God. He's over it. He's greater than it. The laws of nature and the laws of science, they are not limits for him because he has no limits. He has no bounds. And so here we see that the Holy Spirit comes upon Mary and a child will be born. And this is where we get the term, as well as looking through the rest of the New Testament, as we will do, that Jesus had what's called two natures. Right? He was fully God, 100% God, and also he was 100% man. You can't take away any of his deity, no more can you take away any of his humanity without changing who the scriptures truly tell us that Jesus is. Now, I don't know if you remember, but uh, we talked in the beginning about how when the Apostles' Creed was written, there was a heavy amount of Gnosticism that existed in the Christian world at that time. And uh, what I'd like to do this morning, uh, let me clarify this first. There's no such thing as a Gnostic Christian, right? They don't, they don't work together at all. Um, but some people called themselves that. And let me read you something from a website on how the Gnostics viewed Jesus. It gives a perspective into why This is so important and included in the creed. The person of Jesus Christ is another area where Christianity and Gnosticism drastically differ. The Gnostics believe that Jesus' physical body was not real, but only seemed to be physical, and that his spirit descended upon him at his baptism, but left him just before his crucifixion. Such views destroy not only the true humanity of Jesus, but also the atonement. For Jesus must not only have truly been God, but also truly human, the physical, real man who actually suffered and died upon the cross in order to be the acceptable substitutionary sacrifice for sin. And the biblical view of Jesus affirms his complete humanity as well as his deity. So let's look at the two natures this morning. We looked last week at at Jesus as God, Jesus as the only Son of God, as the Christ, the anointed, the chosen. Matthew 16 is what we looked at last week and says this, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So, so you guys are out there, and, and, and who is everybody saying that I am? And they said, some people say, Jesus, that you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But <coughs> Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are God. So why does it matter that Jesus was the God-man? The reality of it is because you and I could never ref- fulfill the requirements of the law because I don't know about you but the best person that we know in life has sinned if you think about the best person you can ever imagine in your life the nicest most kindest person that always puts other people first that always loves other people they've sinned right and we could go through and and look at differences but but the reality of it is that's the truth Romans 8 3 to 4 for God is done with the law Weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Galatians 4, 4 to 5, For when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. God sent forth his son, completely God, born of a woman, completely man. But remember, he was not conceived through Adam. The sin nature was not transferred to Jesus. He was not born with original sin, which is how he remained completely God. 
We see other things in the scripture that point to how God is, how Jesus could forgive sins. We see the story of when the paralytic man was, was lowered down into the room, right? And Jesus says this, man, your sins are forgiven. Now, who can say that your sins are forgiven? You might forgive someone that wrongs you, but the sins in their life, only God can do that. Jesus claimed equality with God. Remember last week we looked at C.S. Lewis's statement which said that Jesus is either a liar. What's the, what's the other one? Can you help me this morning? A lunatic or Lord. A liar, a lunatic, or Lord. There is no other option. You can't say that Jesus was just a good man or just a good teacher because if he was just a good man but not God, that means he was a liar. Because he claimed to be God. He said he was God. Or maybe he wasn't a liar. He was just absolutely insane. But the scripture tells us, and we know, that both of those are not true. That he is Lord. And we see that when he equates himself to God the Father in John 8, and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And not only when Jesus tells us himself or other things that we see, but scripture tells us that, right? In Philippians 2, it says that though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God because he was equal with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Colossians 2, 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He was here as God and man. And that's important to know. And we're going to get to the part about man in a moment. The last point I have that proves that he is God that we see is that he healed people. We have the story of the man with the withered hand. But he wasn't the only one that Jesus healed, was he? Again and again. Jesus knew the thoughts of men. Luke 6, 8. But he looked at the Pharisees and he said, come and stand here because he knew their thoughts. Can you imagine? I tried to put myself in the shoes of the Pharisees there when you're standing there thinking. Because have you ever thought something that you would really hope nobody else was listening to? Amen? Right? Okay. All right. Good. I'm glad I'm the only one this morning. But can you imagine standing there as the Pharisees and all of a sudden Jesus is like, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> I know everything that you're saying. Who can know that but God? So we know and we hopefully you undoubtedly believe that Jesus was God. But now we see that Jesus is Man. What does it mean that Jesus was a man? It means that he understands our struggles. He understands the difficulties that come in life, the temptations, the pain. He understands that. He sympathizes with that. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He's gone through it. He sympathizes with it. He understands the pain that exists in your heart. This doesn't mean that Jesus was tempted with every single possible darkest sin that exists. Instead, he was tempted 
He understands temptation. He understands pain. And he sympathizes with it. So wherever you are in your life right now, know that Jesus understands what you're going through. What you're worried about. What you've been struggling with. What you've been tempted with. And he understands the difficulties of life. We go a little bit back farther in Hebrews. Hebrews 2, 14 to 18. Since therefore... The children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those through fear of death who are subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people because he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. I remember um, 2016, I was going through an ordination class. And basically what you do is you study all these Bible questions that you can think of and theology questions that you can think of. And you go and sit around a table with uh, a group of pastors and they just begin to ask you whatever question they want to ask you. There's nothing to really study uh, other than the Bible <laughs> and theology. But, but they could ask you anything in the world that, that they want. And I remember sitting there, and, and the one gentleman, he asked me this question. He said, um, to Tony, do you believe that Jesus could have sinned? Do you believe that Jesus could have sinned? I the hubbada, 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 hubbada. I couldn't think of what, you know, what do you say at that moment? Because... I, you know, you're under a lot of pressure, and it's like, man, I got to do good, and all these guys, they all know more than me, and they're all sitting there asking me these questions, and, um, and I remember processing that question over and over and over again. He was the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. Could Jesus have truly sinned? I believe the answer, if he was 100% man, 100% God, that Jesus wouldn't have sinned, but he had to have the potential to have allowed himself to do that. He could have sinned. Because it says that he was suffering through the temptation. It wasn't something where he was tempted and said, ah, not me. There was pain involved with it. It was difficult. Now, you might, you might differ in your perspective this morning. It's a great question to think about. Could Jesus truly have sinned? Now you're going to be sitting at lunchtime going, huh, no, I don't really know. Um, but could Jesus have sinned? But the writer of Hebrews speaks again and again of the suffering that Jesus endured during temptation. He suffered during his temptation, during his struggles. Don't minimize what Jesus went through just because he was God on earth. He knows what temptation is and how difficult it could be. Now let me clarify this morning. Jesus never would have sinned because he's God your mind blown yet? Are you processing that question? Charles Spurgeon writes this, many persons are tempted, but do not suffer in being tempted. For when ungodly men are tempted, it's bait, the bait is to their taste. They swallow it greedily. Temptation is a pleasure to them. Indeed, sometimes they, and sometimes tempt, um, they tempt the devil to continue to tempt them. But good men suffer when they are tempted. And the better they are, the more they suffer when they're tempted. Think of all that Jesus went through as we close this morning. Being a man on earth, he experienced not only physical pain, but emotional pain. 
terrible heartache, righteous anger, times of crying, of torture, of abuse, of mockery, of being betrayed by those who were closest to him, about knowing who was going to betray him, yet breaking bread with that same person anyways. He understands what you're going through in your life. The God-man understands everything you're going through. And I will close with this verse this morning. Matthew 11, 28, 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the God-man. The all-powerful Son of God, who at any moment could have called angels down when he was being tempted by Satan, or could have called angels to remove him from the cross. The all-powerful Son of God, who decided to come to this earth filled with idolatry and immorality and disgusting things that humanity has done to it, yet he came because he loves you so much. And that same person who was 100% God was 100% man. He went through everything in life and he understands what you're going through, so take it to him. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we ask that you would Father, help us to lay our burdens at your feet. Remind us of how much you love us and how well you know us. Jesus, you love us more than we could ever begin to understand. Lord, we ask this morning that we would delight in the God-man the Son of God who came to earth 100% God, but also 100% man, who was tempted in every way, yet said no, and stood strong. May you be glorified in Jesus' name.